Shalom and welcome to Torah to the People, a podcast from Temple Israel in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm Rabbi Micah Greenstein. We hope you enjoy this selection of our sermons, classes, and conversations with inspiring people from across the Bluff City and around the world. One of the most powerful experiences that I had during my first year of rabbinical school in Israel happened at a likely place, but at an unlikely time, and perhaps not in the way you might expect. After two and a half months of living in Jerusalem, studying, and beginning to build relationships with my classmates, a group of us came together at the Hebrew Union College campus to make Havdalah and close out our Shabbat before heading into the old city for a special gathering. As we walked through the narrow streets of the Jewish quarter, we could feel the somber atmosphere all around us. You could see it in people's faces, and you could even feel it in the energy softly radiating off of the limestone bricks. Eventually, we arrived at our destination, the Kotel, or the Western Wall. After passing through security and walking down the hill to the main courtyard, we came to the Western Wall that most people think of, with its wide courtyard and fenced-off sections for men, women, and the mixed multitude standing at a distance from the wall itself. The scene was not what many of us might expect. There were few, if any, large tour groups, and the sun was not shining and beating down upon us bright in the sky. Instead, night had fallen, and we saw many of our Orthodox cousins not only dressed in their customary black, but also in a state of profound and demonstrative grief. Particularly on the men's side of the mechitza, the barrier that divides the praying community by gender, we could hear sorrowful wails and laments. We could also see that many of them sat on the ground beside broken chairs, tears filling their eyes and ash covering much of their exposed skin and clothing. For this was not a usual evening at the Kotel, but it was the beginning of the ninth of Av, Tisha B'Av one of two major fast days on the Jewish calendar, and generally the saddest day of the Jewish year. But this was not our final destination. Instead, we continued heading down the hill until we reached a set of stairs leading us deeper into the valley to the archaeological site known as Robinson's Arch. Now, the site includes a further excavation of that same western wall, exposing long-buried parts of it all the way down to its foundation. This is also the site of a newer area designated for prayer, but specifically for liberal Jews who seek an egalitarian and non-gender segmented worship experience. But this was still not where our gathering would be held. Instead, we continued to descend further, down into the site where we joined a group of about 30 or 40 other folks there and surrounded by the toppled stones that once comprised the outer walls of the temple plaza, we sat on the ground, no chairs, no seats, no cushions, 
and we listen to the haunting melody used to chant the Book of Lamentations, or in Hebrew, Echa. All the while being interspersed with personal stories of tragedy and loss shared by selected speakers. There, among these ruins, we sat, we wept, we prayed, and we reflected on the suffering of the past and the continued brokenness of our, our world today. Tisha B'Av is a marginal or unknown holiday for many of us. Growing up at a reform synagogue in Nashville, just down the road, I myself didn't know about it until attending a BBYO summer program in high school. Now, for those who might not be familiar, the ninth of the Hebrew month of Av is traditionally understood as the day on which both the first and second temples were destroyed by the Babylonian and Roman empires, respectively. As if this wasn't enough, the ancient sages of the Mishnah also see this as a calamitous day extending further back in our collective memory, explaining that it was also the date on which the first generation of Israelites to wander the wilderness learned that they would not be permitted to enter the promised land. The tragic magnetism of this day expanded in subsequent centuries, and it became known as the date of the Edicts of Expulsion of Jews from England in 1290 and Spain in 1492, and of course Portugal in 1493 along with various other calamities to the Jewish people across time. Despite its traditional significance, Tisha B'Av gradually became less important or even rejected in liberal Judaism in general and our Reform Judaism in particular. Now, there are a few reasons for this. For one, Reform Judaism has long rejected any desire to rebuild the ancient temple and restore the priesthood and its sacrifices. After all, the collapse of this form of Jewish practice allowed the growth of the type of Judaism that we now love and cherish, rabbinic Judaism, which centers around the synagogue, not the ancient temple, and sees prayer, studies, and acts of kindness as replacing animal sacrifice. So knowing all of this, why should we mourn the loss of the temples? Another reason comes from our unique place in history, as we are witnesses to the creation of a Jewish state in the ancient land of the Israelites. Many view the establishment of the state of Israel as the redemption of those many centuries of mourning and prayers. The opening words of the Book of Lamentations, alas, Echa, lonely sits the city, once great and teeming with people, these words no longer speak to our reality. For this reason, many might observe a half-day fast or have set aside Tisha B'Av altogether. All of these are good and fair points. I certainly have no desire to see a rebuilt temple and the reinstitution of animal sacrifices. But I do wonder if Tisha B'Av continues to hold resonance for us today. Looking back, we might understand and appreciate the historical processes that led to a more portable and eventually a more egalitarian Judaism, but we can also sit with the pain and the trauma that our ancestors felt in those moments of hardship. 
If we are to see ourselves each year as if we were the ones who left Egypt, as if we stood at the foot of Mount Sinai receiving Torah, then should we not also see ourselves as if we watched the walls of the temple crumble? As if we wept by the rivers of Babylon, mourning our exile, or as if we boarded the ships leaving England, Spain, and Portugal with nothing more than what we could carry. This became clear to me on that evening at the Kotel seven years ago. Among the speakers at our gathering was a woman who shared her family's experience of the AMIA, the Jewish Center bombing in Argentina in 1994, which killed 85 people and left over 300 people injured. Though those ancient empires traditionally pointed to on Tisha B'Av have come and gone, human cruelty and hatred continue to impact the lives of our people. Indeed, our mourning may not be accompanied by a fervent desire to restore the ancient temple, as it likely did for those Orthodox men showering themselves in ashes. But it is valid mourning nonetheless. By feeling the sadness of our history, by crying with the prophets and exiles and victims of previous generations, I think we might gain a deeper connection with them. And by extension, a deeper connection with the exiles and victims of our own times. We see this feeling encapsulated in the words of Lamentations, we have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We know all too well the plight of the stranger, the widow, the orphan, for we have been them so often in our long journey through history. And our grief need not be confined to the past. On a day like Tisha B'Av, we might wonder what are the broken things we see and grieve for in our world, in our own lives. 21st century media and technology have made us all the more aware of the many tragedies unfolding in our world on a daily basis. This Tisha B'Av, which by the way ended yesterday evening, I especially thought of its resonance for what is happening in the state of Israel today. This morning, Rabbi Dreyfus, Rabbi Greenstein and I had, had the pleasure and the honor to connect and talk with Rabbi Rifat Safanya, uh, who's the rabbi at our sister congregation in Shoham. And she expressed what a scary time it is for Israeli society, with the first of the judicial reform laws being passed earlier this week. Thousands have taken to the streets to protest this initial wave and a foundational shift in Israeli governance, themselves motivated by a fear of a democracy in the initial stages of being toppled, much like, much like those ancient walls in Jerusalem. And even in our own community, we can find cause to grieve. People going without water, and so many who lost power in the wake of recent storms, many of whom might not have the means to go about their da daily lives in this heat without it. I'm sure you know the list could go on and on. And I think in some ways, so many of us walk through our lives in a constant state of grief, mourning the state of our world, our country, our people, or our closer, closer circle of community. Tisha B'Av could 
offer the opportunity to fully express that grief, to let it pour out of our hearts and for us to sit with it rather than shoving it to the side. Because if we don't, we know that if we don't allow ourselves to do that, our grief and our trauma can consume us. And in this day of commemoration, we also see the power of grieving collectively, together, keeping with our tradition's emphasis that no one should mourn a loss in solitude, but instead surrounded by their community. And if we do not allow ourselves to grieve, grieve fully, there can be no healing or comfort. This is something our tradition also understands well. It is from the depths of darkness and despair that on this Shabbat we hear the call, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, Yomar, Eloheichem. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. The, this being the first of seven Shabbatot offering words of consolation from the prophet Isaiah. For we cannot dwell indefinitely in the darkness, even if we must confront it from time to time. This prophetic cry calls to all of us, not just a select few in positions of leadership. It calls upon all of us to, to offer comfort in any way that we can, through the words that we speak, through our willingness to listen and sit with those in pain, and through our performance of acts of love and of kindness, gemilut chasadim. Because no matter how broken the world might be at any given moment, there is no limit to the kindness and compassion we can extend to one another. As it says in Lamentations, therefore I have hope. The kindness of the Eternal One has not ended. God's mercies are not spent. They are renewed every morning. May this Shabbat renew the divine kindness that is kindled and that glows within all of us. And as we as a community rise up from this time of grief, may we share that kindness with our world. Ken Ratson, may it be God's will. Ken Ratson, may it be our will. Let us say together. Shabbat Shalom.